everyone, and welcome to Mind the Gap, a podcast seeking sales and marketing alignment. I'm your host, Nick Zico Lopez, and today I'm joined by Jason Oakley. Jason, how's it going? Pretty good, Nick. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Absolutely. I'm doing well. Uh, we are currently recording this just a few days before Christmas, uh, so this may be one of the last things I do uh, before heading out of the office for the break. Um, yeah. Now, Jason, uh, you're a worldwide name. Uh, you're everybody at home. They know you. They know who you are. But for those that don't, uh, who is Jason? Uh, what do you do? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, uh, my so my name is Jason Oakley. I'm uh, I'm based out of Canada, so Collingwood, Canada is where I live. So it's like a, a town, a couple of hours outside of Toronto, Canada. And um, I'm the senior director of product marketing at Clue. So. Clue, for anyone who's not familiar with Clue, so we are a competitive enablement platform. So essentially the first, um, the first platform that combines competitive intelligence and the collection of essentially like raw competitive data, whether it's external, right? Being, you know, monitoring, say like competitor web pages, um, social media, news sites, right? All of that to collect kind of intel about your competitors, but also internally. So within the four walls of your company, also being able to collect like internal data, source data from and intel from your sales team, product team, things like that. Um, so the collection of competitive intel, but then also the ability to turn that into insights and enable your stakeholders within your business, like sales team, CS team, your product team with insights that they can use to compete better against your, your competition. So whether it's sell better, increase win rates, create a product roadmap that's more you know, in line with uh, competing against your your top competitors. So essentially a platform that combines it all into one central platform. So that's someone who manages, whether it's a product marketer or a competitive kind of intelligence or enablement team in your company, it's their go-to platform for all that work. Could you do that for this podcast? Like like why, why the other podcasts are succeeding and, and not enough people are listening? Yeah, you could, I guess, if you wanted to monitor <laughs> other, you know, podcasts that were... Uh, are there companies yeah. that were all right, Guy Raz, Guy yeah. Raz and NPR, yeah. we're coming for you. No, uh, so, so you you are you, you said senior director in your product marketing. Uh, yeah. Quickly, how did how did you find your way to product marketing? Yeah, so I I think like you know no one goes to school to learn product marketing, and I think um, that was definitely the case for yet, me. right? So, exactly yet, and obviously there's tons of educational and kind of. Um, courses, not at like a traditional university, but I do think you will start to see that more. But when I, I went to business school, um, when I got out, I, I started in sales. So like I did, um, I started my career in SaaS as an account executive and, um, worked at a company called Verifin and started as an AE. I ended up doing a number of roles there. Like I was in field marketing, dabbled in a, in a couple areas of marketing and, um, but when I left uh, Verifam, what I got into was customer marketing. And that kind of transitioned me into CS, like customer success, that side of the org. And, um, you know, I went and did uh, customer success at a, a small, like five person startup called Brownie Points. Um, eventually started working at a company called Uberflip, where I was a CSM for a couple of years, but then I was approached by our CMO and the product marketer had just left. They had one product marketer and they were looking for a new one, but to build the product marketing function out more. Um, and so I think what I had was like a combination of a few skills. I think I had the empathy of understanding CS and sales and like what those roles required and what they, what they needed. Um, but also throughout 
university and, and kind of always, as, I always had like side hustles and small businesses that I was kind of running. And so I had that entrepreneurial kind of DNA as well. And in part of that running my own businesses, I'd always had the opportunity to like dabble and cut my teeth on, on marketing. Right. So I had those, yeah. I wouldn't say I was great at any of the skills, but I had enough to make me like a bit of a jack of all trades. And uh, I think that's like a good skill of product marketing. And so I had the tools and, um, in my current role there, I just knew the product really well and I knew the customer. And so then they offered me that job and I've been doing it ever since. I'm imagining 10 year old Jason hanging up your like lemonade stand sign being like, I'm so good at marketing right now. Um, <laughs> I, I was, uh, yeah, even I was definitely one of those guys who I, I loved the lemonade stand, loved, uh, I, was, I had my own paper route. I was always doing, always doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, and you have that newsletter on hustle culture. So, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So, so what I want to talk about is, so like you said, right, you know, the product, you know, the customer, you go to product marketing. And I think that that's, you know, endemic to the industry right now. Like, all right, who can sit between these two things and the way that the product manager used to be, okay, you know, the, the product, um, and you know, the user, all right, here, let's put the product person in front of there to, to facilitate that back, back for product marketer is kind of like the product and the customer. But product marketers kind of do everything and I'm not going to say nothing, but product marketers do everything. And it leads to this like product marketing performance anxiety or product marketing imposter syndrome that I want to talk about today. So, you know, we, we were talking the other day and we're talking through how we had both seen, uh, you know, this, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it, where, where product marketers seem feel threatened or, are unsure of, of the value they bring to the community. I remember you had, so first of all, have you experienced this? Have you felt this? And, and how does this manifest itself? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think <clears throat> the imposter syndrome is definitely, it's something that, you know, if you were to say imposter syndrome to me, like, I know it enough to be like, yes, I know the concept. I would say it's something that, mm -hmm. that I feel. I think one of the reasons we feel this idea of imposter syndrome is a lot of times I think product marketers, you might be the first product marketer at a company, or you might be brought into, you know, a pretty well-established company as like maybe their first product marketer, or you might be building the function at a startup. But I think product marketing in general, it can have in many times, it has like a direct line to the CEO. It has a, it's involved in a lot of these like strategic decisions because those strategic decisions have to do with like, go to market with positioning, with like category creation, like all those things always involve product marketing to some extent. And I think a lot of product marketers are kind of thrust into this position where they're involved in some of these like high stakes conversations. They might not feel that they're like mm -hmm. ready for that or, you know, equipped, you know, enough to be in those conversations. So I think that there's some imposter syndrome, but I do think as well, just like product marketing, I, I think at least I've felt it and I know people that I've managed have felt it too. Like, I think there's just a lot of situations that a product marketer where you're in these, whether it's social situation or whatever, like within the workplace, you're kind of like, you're put in these positions where you are kind of like high anxiety or stressful situations that have to do with kind of you feeling like you need to be capable of something or doing something or responsible for a particular thing that is not necessarily either in your wheelhouse or your expectations of like what you're supposed to be doing as a product marketer are too high. And so whether you call it imposter syndrome or you call it something else, there's definitely that like feeling 
Well, and, and it's, be, it's this idea because product marketing spans so many like disciplines, right? Like mm -hmm. we, we think of like, it, it kind of sits between so many things. So in many ways you might feel responsible, whether it's true or not, you might feel responsible if, if you're in the company Slack and someone asks a positioning question and then a persona question and then a pricing question and then a competitive Intel question, you kind of have to feel like you have to own all those things. And it's, it's either not realistic yeah. or, or, or you, you, you feel, and you know, I, I, I see that, you know, demand gen being a huge thing. I was speaking with a, with a, uh, I see it, well, actually in the community the other day, uh, where the question was like, All right, so what does product marketing do with demand gen? Does demand, is demand gen taking something away from product marketing? And I know like, like that right there, you almost get to that, what I will call imposter syndrome of like, oh man, they're, they're hiring someone else or, oh man, this other person knew something that I felt like I should have known. That's bad. That's like bad for me somehow. And, and you yeah. almost, it, it almost see that happening. Yeah, there, there's like a, a like I like your point too. Of I think product marketing is responsible for so many things. So as those start to get, whether someone does something that you feel like, oh, should I have done that? And what that creates for you is like doubt of like, shit, am I not doing my job? Right? Like I think that happens a lot. And it just could be that there are like people who've been with the company a long time and they know your competitors, or maybe they know your you know, they know positioning, like it could be a really seasoned account executive who just knows how, or has an, at least an opinion on how you should position things. And so they're chiming in just to be helpful on like what's helped them close deals. Yeah. But that can create this feeling of like, I didn't get there first. And I think there's this feeling of with product marketers. And again, I'm not speaking for all product marketers. I speak for myself and I speak for like people <laughs> I've talked to. Um, but I think like, Take a competitive Intel for an example or competitive, like when you're trying to enable your sales team, not just like the Intel, but you're trying to enable them with like insights and you have a competitive Intel channel. A lot of people do this right? like, it's one of the first things I do. If you don't already have them, when you come to a company and you're in Slack, create a channel that everyone can start to just toss in information about your competitors. And I've been in a situation where say a couple weeks go by, and product marketing hasn't posted anything in that channel, but sales team has been super active, sales and CS, and they've been posting insights. I think as a product marketer, a lot of times, and because I've been asked this from people I've managed who've been like, is it bad that we're not posting things in there? They have this feeling that product marketing is supposed to be like first. We're supposed to be the ones that are the most proactive are the first to be able to give you insight, like Intel, right? And I think that it's just unrealistic. Like there, a lot of the great Intel comes from conversations that your sales and CS team are having, right? Or your product team or, or anybody. Mm -hmm. It's not a product, like product marketers don't need to be the ones who are providing all the Intel, right? Product marketers should be the ones that create the, the environment and like the tools and the processes to be able to just collect data from the team. They don't need to be the first, right? But they're the ones to create this environment where you're able to collect everything and nothing gets, gets missed. Um, and that's very much like a team game. And then a product marketer is responsible for, again, putting processes in place and just being the one to help wrap context around all those insights. But you're not the one who has to be first there with everything. And I think sometimes we put these unrealistic expectations that, shit, I'm supposed to be out there every day. I need to be checking the wire. I need to be the first with the, you know, the press release, or I need to know when they're building a feature that yeah. I couldn't possibly know, but a sales rep could pick up on because a prospect's being pitched it by the competitor, right? So I think that those, that's like one example, um, that, that definitely resonates with like me. And I think, I think that 
that perspective shift is useful of like, you, you know, a product marketer doesn't necessarily need to be the one that owns or is first with the information for all these things, but they are responsible for that community, that feeling, that, uh, that environment that allows others to contribute and add, and then responsible for, for like meaningful takeaways from that, like the, so what of the, right. of, of those. And, and, and I think almost like if you think about it that way of like, you don't have to know everything as a product marketer. You don't. Okay. And by the way, there are some product marketers that have to know everything, right? You're a senior director of product marketing. Maybe you have to know everything. I don't know. But, um, but, but for, for, for PMMs and senior PMMs, you don't have to know everything, but you have to make sure that when people volunteer, when other people know things, something happens, like, like there's a takeaway or a do something, whether that's reflected in the other things that you do own, like whether that be positioning or, or pricing or, or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that happens too is, and you had alluded to this, to, alluded to this earlier is that this could just be a marketing thing in general, but it's, it's like, as a marketer, you feel like you have to be the best wordsmith in the company. Like you need to be the one who, who, if someone asks you like, Hey, I'm up against a, or, you know, we're writing copy for the webpage. Like, what should our headline be? It, it's, I think, well, one, I think it's just in general, people have a percent, their perception of positioning and messaging and copywriting is like, People have different ideas mm -hmm. of what that actually means. But I think even as a product marketer, if your job is to be able to like figure out positioning and then create like plain, plain language messaging that your teams can use, for example. Um, yeah. You're not the one who always, it, you don't go away into a hole and write messaging by yourself and then come out and be like, here it is. Like you're, as a product marketer, your job should be more of a collaborative thing. Like that's why I think like, the best messaging that you create and the best like positioning that you come up with is more of like a team game. Whereas a product marketer, like yeah. a sale, like an AU has been selling for like a couple of years might have way more insight than a product marketer who's been on the job for a couple of months. And you need to be able to tap into those people. So you're not saying like, Hey, I've gone away for a week to write this, all the kind of to come figure out our positioning and write a bunch of messaging and then hand it to the sales team. They're not, it's not going to be any good. Yeah. But your job is to, is to sit with all these my... people and together come up with it. Well, and, and that shift, and, and this is, you know, I, we, we're doing a, a, an enablement recipe on sales kickoffs right now for sales. It's saying, all right, don't like, like whether it be a sales kickoff or positioning or wh whatever it is, I think the shift from this is a thing I have to create and bring to the company versus this is a thing I'm responsible for us all creating is huge, right? Like it, it takes away this, you know, um, hero ball, Kobe with the basketball with three seconds left to, Hey, we got to figure out how to score here. And I just need to make sure that we get it. And, and oftentimes people don't like, that's not the people don't want that, right? People want to be a part of the team. People want to feel like they contributed to this. So let's say you crafted perfect positioning. Let's say it was per somehow perfect. If you just brought it to salespeople, a lot of sales teams would be like, well, I don't know this because they like, they didn't contribute. They don't feel like they contribute. So Having yeah. that environment, I think is, I think is huge and it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, so we're just kind of going down the, talking about these different examples. Yeah. Like, I think another thing that, that I see or that I've experienced is you, to that last point, you want to get feedback. It's a team game, but you're not going to get everyone's feedback and everyone's buy-in, right? Cause if you waited for that, right. you'd never get anything out the door. So I think another thing that does cause that kind of that stress or that anxiety is when you're ready to ship something, right? And there's always going to be someone who maybe wasn't in on that conversation and wasn't, or might not be invested in that 
messaging, right? And I think it's one of those things mm -hmm. too, is that it's always an evolution. It's always kind of, you're always improving as you go. And I think we also need to be okay with this is ready to ship, right? Not waiting, waiting until mm -hmm. everyone sign off on it, it's perfect, but being like, okay, this is what we want to move forward with for now. And just knowing too, that some people aren't going to agree with it. And it doesn't mean that it's not good positioning or it's not good messaging. It just means that some people internally haven't agreed with it. And so I think at a certain point, and this is why like, and we talk about this before, it's like validating your messaging yeah. too. So you want to collect everyone's opinion. You want everyone to be, you know, you, or you want to collect opinions. You don't want it to be just based on what you think. But at the same time too, the more you can back it up with data and like testing it beforehand, the more that when you do release it, everyone's, you'll be able to take that feedback and, and be like, okay, great. I'm going to store that away and use that, use that. But at the same time, I have yeah. data to back this up and that's why we went with it. So. And, and in a lot of ways, the product teams almost have it a little bit easier from that regard because you agree on the MVP way beforehand, right? Of like, okay, we will ship product when it can blank. And I see a lot of teams, you either don't have the time or the luxury of doing that in a messaging positioning sense, marketing sense. So you're almost right. figuring on the MVP on the fly and, and you're, you're, you get a lot of haters. I don't know if you have Jason, Jason, I have a lot of haters. Um, it's because I'm, uh, you know, like I, I deserve it. I deserve to have a lot of haters. But, but you had said something to me earlier, and I'd like to talk about the idea of like disagree and commit, or what that is. So, what do you what do you do when you're at a launching point and you have either key stakeholders or you yourself disagree with what's going out the door? What do you, can, you, can you give us a framework to to do that with? Yeah, I think, geez, the, so the disagree and commit, that's something that you know, I had heard and I've tried, like you try your hardest to, to be this way. And you, you hope that you work with people who are this way too. But like, I've been in situations before where, you know, you're, you're trying to make a decision on say product naming, right. Or how you're going to position a product. Or how are you going to price a product? There's all kinds of things. Um, but you just don't agree. Right. And so you can be someone in the company who is just a naysayer, right. And you could be someone who, you know, positioning goes out there and you can just continue to just wait for your, like, I told you so moment. But I think at some point, if like take positioning, for example, if you decide as a company, you're going to position your product in a certain way, um, everyone should get on board and has to get on board really. Cause if there's people just waiting for that, I told you so moment, like it's never, especially if that person is like your CEO, for example, right? <laughs> We've all been in these situations where we're trying to convince our boss, for example, that we should, you know, do, do a certain project or hire a certain person and they don't have buy-in, but at the same time they let you do it, but then they hold it over you kind of, and they'll, they're waiting for that moment to be like, I knew that person was going to work out. Right. The idea of disagreeing committed is really someone who's like, I disagree with this, but I'm committed to like making it work or I'm committed to moving forward with it. And I'm going to stand behind mm -hmm. it because if it's a group decision and majority want to go in one way, the people who didn't agree with it can't just be the, can't, be like dragging it down. They just got to disagree with it and just move forward. And so I like that idea of disagreeing commit. It's not something I came up with. It was something I'd heard. I think it was a HubSpot thing. I don't know, but it was, um, it's something like it's a method, like a, a frame of mind that, or a way to think that I really like because yeah, there's no way you're going to agree on everything, but you do have to, you can't just drag on a positioning exercise forever. At some point you do need to commit to something. And I, I think the idea too of knowing going into it, and that's and that's a challenging thing for any product marketers, marketers, sales, whatever, whatever it be. 
like going into it knowing the thing you're going to do, even at its best, people, there are going to be people that don't like it. Like, and just right. knowing that is so freeing in a weird way. I don't know if you feel the same way of like, like, like the yeah. best version of this, people are going to tell me is bad. So when people yeah. tell me it's bad, what I need to listen to is what are, okay, what do they not like and how many people not like it? And that, that comes back to the, the positioning validation we talked about. Um, I think yeah. by, by the time this goes out, our uh, Ask an Expert uh, blog will be out. Jason had some really cool thoughts on how to validate your positioning and messaging. But, but whether it be, like you said, positioning, pricing, like, hell, like, like take the seven things product marketing does. I mean, just like bad opinions on it. In the same way that when you build a feature, people don't like how it works. Right? Whatever you do, knowing that you're going to get that negative, even if it's constructive or destructive feedback, going into it yeah. knowing, okay, well, I'm going to sift through that feedback for the, the what they're saying and ignore the, the negative vibes. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's like, I'm not a psychologist. Like I, I have no, I'm not an expert of the mind and I don't know how to tell people to deal with imposter syndrome. Right. I, I could talk about how, how I like, I, and I have talked about some of the things or at least the way I think about it. But I think one of the things that just helps is understanding that all, all, all people deal with this stuff, but I just know part of in product marketing, you're working across so many teams. You're responsible for all these different kind of, I don't know, product marketing almost seems like this, this bucket that all kinds of random jobs are tossed into yeah. at a company because you're responsible for a number of different things. So you're asked to really switch gears a lot in a day. And so you're naturally, you know, you just can't be the expert in everything. And I think that just not knowing that everyone's dealing with it and that it's just like kind of normal. Um, but to your point, kind of knowing that and expecting that is it could be like a freeing sort of thing and allow people to yeah. do it with a little bit less stress. And, and I, I think so, by the way, you're on a podcast. You are the expert of the mind no one can answer back to you right now. So whatever you say is right. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> so so yeah. I just want to, I want to cap off this discussion because you know, to what you said, right? Like knowing that I, so right. If you follow the product marketing Alliance, if you follow these different communities, the question always goes up of like OKRs, OKRs, what are people responsible for? How are you structuring your OKRs? And I think perhaps some, the lack of clarity around exactly what you're responsible for is what leads to a lot of this uh, anxiety or whatever that is. Right. Um, mm. And, uh, and yeah. so be, just because, because, you know, like maybe you don't have a number to hit, maybe people think you have a number to hit and you don't have, you know, like, or, or you do have a number to hit, but you don't know how to measure it, whatever that is. Can I just get right. your opinion? By the way, this is an opinion. This is not, you know, uh, uh, because everybody has their own opinion. This, there's no right answer. How right. should product marketing uh, be represented when it comes to OKRs, um, ob you know, objectives and key results or key performance indicators? How should product marketing be measured? Just your thoughts. Yeah, I've, I've had it. So I, I guess I've had a mix of things. So um, in my last company, so Chili Piper, our, as product marketing, we were essentially aligned with a business unit and we were measured on that business unit's ability to generate revenue, like pipeline and close revenue. And so at Chili Piper, product marketers were very much kind of like a, a brand or a business owner, right? So we had multiple products. Each one was responsible as like the quarterback of that business, kind of like the GM, and we were run off revenue. Mm -hmm. And I think as it depends on like how your team is structured, if a product marketer is in your company, like the owner of a particular line of business, and you're directly kind of, you're taking on more than just 
yeah, I think if you are taking on that role of being like the GM of a particular line of business, then I think like aligning with revenue, I think aligning with revenue is always a good thing. I think that, you know, knowing that I did new positioning and that impacted X dollars in revenue is going to be obviously really hard, but I do, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that all teams should care about revenue, right? Because it is something that everyone is impacting. And I do think that everyone having a bit of skin in the game when it, when it comes to hitting your revenue target every quarter is like an important thing. And it's just, everyone should be, Mm -hmm. should care about it too. Right. Um, But I do think of some of the, the things that I know we're focusing on for the product marketing team at Clue and Again, this kind of comes back to our competitive enablement program that, that we're running and our, our thing, but you want to impact win rates, like specifically your competitive win rates. So if through competitive enablement or like better positioning, you're able to help the sales team increase their win rates or decrease the sales cycle length or increase the average deal size, like those are things that you can monitor and be able to, to track and, and know if you've been able to see an uptick since you've started, like started. And if you're starting a product marketing, right function from scratch, then it's great that you're able to see how you've, how you've um, been able to impact that. Or if you know that you have a certain competitive win rate against a, com- a competitor and you're currently doing nothing to enable the sales team around how you compete against them. And then you implement a say, you know, you, you create a battle card to enable your team and you're able to watch over a quarter, yep. your competitive win rate against that competitor goes up by 10%. Then obviously that's a good way to measure it. I think another thing too is, um, I think a lot of, I don't know, I've talked to, um, I remember a product marketing leader that I talked to in the past, his view was, you know, product marketing is very tough to be like, we, a thing that we did impacted a number specifically. And so mm-hmm. I know the way that he measured his team was all based on project completion and like, Hey, we have a number of key projects that we're working on and are we able to deliver on these things? So it really is a mixed mixed bag. And I guess the last thing I'll mention too is, um, sales confidence or a confidence score across all the teams that you enable. And so, um, if you are able to, um, you know, capture that quarterly, uh, quarterly, monthly, however you want to do it. I know it's hard to get like these teams to always do surveys, but if you're able to see the confidence in in what you're providing and the, you know, how you're supporting them as a customer go up, then obviously that's a sign that you're doing the right stuff. So, and d- yeah, d- when I think about it, that's where, that's where I start is like, you know, like I love the idea of, of measuring revenue and, and, but I, I think it a lot, a lot of small companies and a lot of companies with longer sales cycles, to be honest, right. You had mentioned, Hey, if, if your win rate against this competitor goes up 10%, sure. If you're going through that many deals, but if you close three deals a quarter and that's a good quarter, like that's, that's really hard to measure. And so I, right. I, but I like starting with like, do the people around you think you and your team are contributing to them? Like if you can yeah. start with that, whether it be a survey, however you want to quantify that, start there and grow in the way that you can, because you can always have that. You could always have that. If everybody thinks that you're adding value, well, we're going to worry about this specific attribution later because everybody likes working with you and they like what you're doing. And I think that goes in a lot of ways too, but I, I specifically product marketing when it comes to what you're responsible for and what you do. Um, I, I, I see it's tough, but I, I really like your thought on, Hey, like the business unit pinning, pinning to revenue. Um, yeah. We, we are at the, at the, I think at the top of the hour here. Um, so I, I want to close out here for, for one question. Uh, I just want to make, if anybody's watching this, we didn't plan the green and red thing for the holidays. Uh, <laughs> this just kind of happened. <laughs> I may have planned it. Who knows? <laughs> I feel like my yeah, wardrobe right? this whole yeah. week is either green or red. 
Um, yeah, I've got I've got my uh, uh, ugly sweater uh, ready to uh, uh, what's it called? Right, nice. ready to go today. Um, but I, so so big wide question: Where do you yeah. see product market going over the next five years? Right? It's a, you said it's a bucket that everybody throws things into. Uh, where's yeah. that bucket going? Um, it's it's it. We were having a conversation about this yesterday. Just how much more popular and just like how much more common a product marketer is even in like, even in like early stage startups, right. Product marketing is just continuing to become more of a, mm-hmm. like a key hire in many cases too, like your first marketing hire. Right. And I think you're starting to see product marketing become more of like a very key marketing role. Whereas five years ago, it was a lot of companies didn't even have a product marketer. So I think it's going to become more and more of like a key role, a strategic kind of role within the, within a company because two things like one, Competition is just getting so much more like prevalent. It, it's so easy to spin up yeah. software. You look at like bubble and no code and all this stuff, but it's like, it's so easy to create a product that kind of disrupts a whole category, right? With like five people in someone's garage. It's, um, it's just, you know, you look at even the MarTech landscape, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's just, it's yeah. blown up completely. It's so much. So I think it's just competition is going to become more of a real thing. So things like, CE things like um, you know positioning in general are just going to become more and more important. It's like what makes you different than your competitors, and why should people care about your product, right? So I think that's going to be like become more and more important, and because of that, the product marketing function will become more and more important. And then the other thing that I think is like interesting, like I I'm by no means I would say I'm I'm a definitely like. My knowledge of Web3 is like very, very limited, but I find it very <laughs> fascinating. And I think that one of the yeah. things is it's an opportunity for everyone, but I've noticed like Web3 companies are hiring product marketers. And I think that what you're going to see is just Web3 creates this whole other space now and where you're just going to have cat- new categories, new types of products popping up everywhere. And I think that marketing and like product marketing and positioning and just the way you take something complex and explain it to people is going to become like, I just think product marketing and Web3 is going to be a really important thing. Like I know community is super important and all that, but um, I, I just think like the way that <laughs> Web3 is explained and like products within Web3 yeah. and, and all the all kinds of different platforms and everything, it's just going to be positioning and how you explain the product to the market is going to be really important. So I think like product marketers are going to have a lot to do with Web three, yeah. Well, and and we so we were talking with Christina Libby. Uh, she's the CMO at Hypergiant, an AI driven company. And we were talking about how do you explain an AI product, right? Like you, like no one understands what how it's yeah. what like like maybe. And she was talking about well, you have to focus on that. You have to focus on like what you're doing. I've been waiting, and I'm actually you just won the prize. You're the first podcast guest to mention Web three. So so uh, hats off to you. Uh, I've been waiting for it. Nice. No, but I I, <laughs> I think that the, the the two things are one exactly what you said, explaining all right what is your thing and how is it different than the twelve other things that would seem to be exactly like you, um, right. which I think we're going to see a lot more of. And the second thing is to that product marketers. I think it's the product market fit of okay, there are twelve other things just like what we're thinking of doing. Why is this different? Why does this matter? And maybe this is, is this a bad idea? I think you're going to see a lot, a lot more quicker failed, whether it be companies or products, whatever that is. And that's part of the promise of, you know, the iteration and all that. But I, I think, I think product marketing has a seat at the table when it comes to, Hey guys, this is a good idea or this is a bad idea because blank. Um, 
And I, I, I think yeah. that's really cool. Um, hey, yeah. I think, and it might not even would... be product. I was going to say it might not even be the product marketer. I just think product marketing, you know, that, that idea of, mm -hmm. right. It's, it's less about the more, what we've known as marketing for the last number of years in SaaS, which has been about mostly dimension, paid campaigns, social, um, content, yeah. all of that. Like it's more of the strategic side of marketing that you're kind of asking a lot of those like key questions. I think that will just be a really important function within a lot of these companies. Yeah. Yeah. Any of anything else to, to, to mention or plug before we go? No, I, I would say, listen to this podcast. I, Oh, actually one thing I'm, <laughs> uh, on January 5th with, um, Sharebird, I'll be doing an AMA about creating a product marketing team from the ground up. So definitely check that out. Okay. I can shoot you the link. Maybe you can the, share it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Shoot me the link. Uh, this will definitely be out after January 5th. Um, so oh, what I'm well, going to do is, uh, it, it, but, but yeah, if you go to the mind, the gap, uh, site, we're going to feature that link at the top of the page. Um, and you'll be able to see cool. the MMA because I'm sure, I'm sure the information will be timeless. <laughs> hey, thank True. you. Uh, sure. thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Oakley. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Nick. This has been mind the gap, a podcast about sales and marketing alignment put on by Enablex. My name is Nick Zeke Lopez. Thanks for listening.